This episode of Literary Treks is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and to help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. And if you want to join the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode, join the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field. We look forward to seeing you there. Hey everyone, I'm Rod Roddenberry and you're listening to Trek FM. taking all these books? I thought I'd take some light reading, in case I got bored. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Literary Treks. I am just one of your hosts, Bruce Gibson, and this is Literary Treks 202. And with me, as he always is, because he's always here, always reading, always talking Star Trek, Dan Gunther. You can't get rid of me. I'm, I'm like a, I'm like, I'm like that mismatched sock in the drawer that you lost the other side of ages ago. I'm just hanging around. You have no idea why you still keep me here, but I'm here. <laughs> That's so funny. Every time my wife does laundry and hey, anybody who's listening, I know how to do laundry. I do laundry sometimes myself. Don't worry. But she's <laughs> that's her priority in the household. For some reason, she loves to do the laundry. She put socks in my drawer and there's always one lone sock every time <laughs> I'd, and then the next time around it's no longer a lone sock there's a different lone sock in there so from now on dan i'm gonna call my lone socks dan <laughs> i i'm flattered i think <laughs> <laughs> i'll put dan on this foot and just leave the other foot bare <laughs> oh well that's that's kind of sweet i guess thank you <laughs> I bet no one has ever said anything like that to you, have they? Not really. I have no idea how to feel at this moment, I have to be honest. <laughs> well, then I'm just going to tell you what we have coming up on today's show. So, in order to change subjects, we, in the feature today, are going to talk about those old Star Trek photo novels from the 1970s. So, we're not going to review a book, so it's not like you've had to have read anything. We're going to talk about these, these old novels that came out out in the 70s with that were based on the episodes from the original series with the photos and stuff and who we're going to talk to about his collection is scott mance uh you may know scott from access hollywood and he also does a lot of interviews and he's a moderator for example at star trek las vegas uh he's a big star trek fan and he's got a collection of photo novels and he's got a whole wealth of information for us Really exciting, really exciting uh, that we're going to have him on the show. And Bruce, awesome job getting uh, getting Scott to come on the show. So that's awesome. Really looking forward to that discussion for sure. Well, I just wrote him a big check and I said, <laughs> Scott, 
it's all yours. No, I'm kidding. Of course not. He just likes to geek out about Star Trek like we all do. So he was more than happy to uh, come on and talk about that. But before we do that, let's talk about what we have in the news of Star Trek literature. So on StarTrek.com, on August 22nd, an article came out about IDW's Trek Adventures for November. And this looks really good because we have a few releases coming out. We have... Star Trek Boldly Go number 14. And it looks like it's the second issue, part two of six, of an Idic series within the Boldly Go continuity. Yeah, this looks really great. So we talked a little bit about issue one coming out in October. And this is that big multiple parallel universes all coming together. And the cover of this one, you guys might remember from the ongoing series they had that mini series with the gender swapped universe so there was a woman captain kirk and uh first officer spock and you know all the all the genders were flipped from how we know you know kirk and spock in our universe or the kelvin timeline man all these universes they're getting really confusing and this series is not going to make it any easier because apparently multiple parallel universes collide And in the little blurb, they say infinite diversity in infinite combinations spells infinite danger to all. So pretty excited about that one. Like other releases, this will have a few variant covers. Uh, There's a cover by Tony Shastine and a second cover by Piotr Kowalski and also a variant cover by Yoshi Yoshitani. So if you're a completist and want to collect everything, IDW would love to take your money. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, if you want all those variant covers. And then with all these different universes, parallel universes colliding, it makes me wonder, I guess we'll maybe see the mirror universe in there too, and maybe our prime universe with the Kelvin timeline Mm. and all them all mixing up. I don't know. We shall see. Definitely. Well, we'll so, we'll definitely bring that to you when it comes out for sure. I'm looking. I'm actually really looking forward to reading this series because I'm I'm curious what they do with that. Well, I like that it's six issues that make mm-hmm. up the big story because if you're covering multiple universes, you need to spend the time to do it because it can be, get to be a bit too much if you try to combine it into just one or maybe two issues. So I like it when they do a big story arc like this because I feel like the comic can really spend some time getting deeper into the story. Sometimes I've mentioned it, for example, with like oh, the Waypoint stories. They're so short that sometimes I feel mm-hmm. they may be a bit rushed. So I don't like it when it's rushed. I like it when they seem to be able to fit the whole story into the issues right yeah no for sure the the six six issue stories always seem to be my favorites as well so speaking of series and issues we have discovery number two coming out in november by mike johnson and kirsten Beyer, and uh this is just of course the new discovery line of comics that are tied into the tv series that's that's really going to focus a lot in on the Klingons. And I must mention variant variant covers. We have Aaron Harvey, who just recently announced that he has a variant cover with this issue coming out in Discovery. And he's been like chomping at the bit for like months, wanting to tell people that he had this coming. (laughs) He just couldn't say anything, but now he can, and we can say that too. So Aaron Harvey here of Trek FM has a variant cover with this issue. Awesome. Yeah. Looking forward to seeing that. I know 
Aaron's very excited about it. And yeah, so this is, like we said, it's the second issue in the Star Trek Discovery series. Not a lot given here in the little marketing blurb. All that it says is, in this exclusive tie-in comic to the new television series, secrets are revealed that will change the course of the galaxy forever. Can you get more generic a description than that? So I've knows? never heard a description like that ever in my life. That's amazing. Change the course of the galaxy forever. Wow. <laughs> Not much to discuss with that one, I guess. <laughs> Not yet. But when we read it, oh my. Yes, there will be discussion. Well, you know, it it also shows that we know Discovery number one's coming in October. Of course. Discovery number two in November. So obviously the shows, it is a monthly title. Mm-hmm. So I guess we kind of assumed that, but um, I really wish they were almost weekly, like the TV series. That would, be cool. <laughs> that would be pretty cool. Although, I mean, if if I would also love weekly novels, I mean, I am so excited for this. So, you know, all the, the more the more in this, you know, tied together stuff they're doing, the better because... I yeah, I'm really excited that they're so closely uh working with the TV show and stuff. It's pretty neat. Yeah, it is. It's going to be kind of cool to see how it all connects together. So we haven't had this uh close relationship between the people making the shows and the people making the comics and the novels. So this is going to be fun. So, speaking of fun, Star Trek New Adventures, I just want to mention that Volume 4 is coming out. And uh, this is taking the Star Trek Ongoing series and putting in issues number 35 through 47. So Dan and I were talking before the show that, you know, we've had trade paperbacks of the ongoing comics before that usually usually contain about four issues. Mm -hmm. These are bigger volumes in this round. So we're getting a lot more issues, about 12 issues in each one. So I think volume four would be the second to the last one because the next, because they went 60 issues. Since this goes to 47, I would assume the next one would contain the last 13 or so. That makes sense. Yeah. And, and this one, it's a big volume, 292 pages, uh, a price tag of twenty nine ninety nine, And it contains four separate mini series in the ongoing comics. So we have the Q Gambit. You might remember that story with Q and, Deep Space Nine and all that cool stuff. Behemoth, Eurydice, and the Tholian Webs. So, you know, if you've been holding off reading the ongoing series and you haven't been following them issue to issue or getting the trade paperbacks, this is probably a pretty good way to get a whole bunch at once. Uh, If you collect these issues, you'd have nice volumes of the entire ongoing series. Absolutely. Well... Speaking of comics, we have a comic we want to review, don't we, Dan? We do. Absolutely. (laughs) So this is exciting. Well, I always say that all the time. This is exciting. Can you tell I'm always excited? (laughs) I'm just always excited about reading these books and comics. It's just just exciting. Anyway, this is Star Trek New Visions number 17, and it's called All the Ages Frozen. Yeah. Hmm. So kind of fitting that, you know, we're going to have the feature later about the photo novels. We have, you know, another one of these John Byrne photo novels in quotation marks. What a coincidence that we're doing this issue on this show with photo novels. Hmm. Weird. 
it's almost like we planned that. That's strange. <laughs> but yeah, no, these stories, of course, uh, inspired by those photo novels, John Byrne has said. And, you know, if you're regular listeners to the show, you know, these are the, those comics larger than usual that are made up of photo montages along with some original you know, computer graphics that John has put in to represent ships and other environments and that sort of thing. Uh, so this is, I can't, you know, I honestly have to say, I can't believe it's been 17 issues. That's a, this series has gone on quite a long time. Yeah. When I said 17, uh, I was, I kind of hesitated because I was like, really, has it been 17? I can't believe it has been that many issues, but I guess it has. I mean, it just time flies when you're having fun. So, <laughs> Let's dig in a little bit into this, uh, I wanted to call it photo novel, photo comic. How's that? That works. <laughs> so this takes place, of course, during the original series, and it's Stardate 6399.4. And they arrive to a planet that they've received a distress signal from. Wow. I've never heard that before either. I'm sorry. I just had to say that because <laughs> I thought about that earlier. I was like... I think just about every other Star Trek story has a distress call in there somewhere. Well, it's it's so, what our heroes do, you know. They they travel the galaxy and they're they're the cosmic good guys, right? Exactly. <laughs> well, luckily this is a class M planet that they can beam down to find out what's going on because right now they're detecting no life forms on the planet. I mean, it was already a planet with no life forms on it, but they don't they can't even detect the Starfleet or Federation people who they're, I'm sorry, they're a Federation science team mm -hmm. that went down to this planet to do some science work of whatever it is that they're trying to do on this planet. And they also have a ship in orbit and there's no one around, no life forms anywhere. So why are we getting this distress call and there's no one to be found? So we're going to beam down to the planet and we're also going to beam Scotty and some of his engineers over to the ship to see what's going on over there. Yeah, absolutely. So first thing I want to say, okay, they beam down and Spock says that the surface temperature is minus 140 degrees Celsius. Uh, and they're just walking around in their uniforms and Kirk says something, adjust temperature, adjust suit temperature for personal comfort. Okay. Yes. I'm sorry. <laughs> Their hands are bare. Their faces are exposed. I live in Canada, Northern Alberta. Uh, I've been outside briefly when it was, I think the coldest I've been outside for any period of time is about minus 42 degrees Celsius. Bruce, do you happen to know what minus 40 degrees Celsius is in degrees Fahrenheit? I do. It's a negative 220. Fahrenheit minus 40 Celsius to minus 40 Fahrenheit. Yes. I have a calculator that does this minus 40, 140 Celsius is minus 220 Fahrenheit. Okay. Minus 140. Yeah. But I've been outside when it was minus, just minus 40. Oh, you want to know? Okay. So minus, even minus 40 is a minus 40 Fahrenheit. Yeah. That's where they cross over. Right. So for, yes, yes. for everyone, you know, in the U S listening, who goes by Fahrenheit minus 40 and minus 40 are the same. So you go to minus 140, you can imagine how cold that is. There is no way they are not. No, no, no. doesn't make any sense. Spacesuits. Well, no, because these, <laughs> 
because they're uniforms, you can control the temperature gauge and it <sighs> regulates the blood flow throughout your body to keep the warm temperature in you with that. Uh, you're right. <laughs> you're right. Oh, man. And another thing, sorry, and this is just, this is very nitpicky details, but if their uniforms could do this at that temperature, why were Sulu and them freezing on the planet in the episode, The Enemy Within? Like, you know, yeah, they're just... Because their their uniforms ran out of batteries. <laughs> I don't know. Well, and then also, why do we see them in the motion pictures wearing, you know, coats and jackets and stuff yeah occasionally you know um yeah i i i, I don't have an answer for this one except <laughs> the our world answer to this is that to make this story work you have to explain well why aren't they wearing coats when they're down there well because the photos they're using don't have them in any coats so <laughs> they can't do it so then my question would be why even make it minus 140 just say it's minus 20 and that's pretty cold. <laughs> but I could buy, you know, you could be bare-faced and... Anyway, this is just totally my nitpicky side coming out. But I read that and I was just catapulted right out of the story. Because I'm like, no. Yeah. You can't even see their breath. Come on. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. There, there, There's a reason. We have to... There's something. We'll just... I don't know. <laughs> Anyway, unless I just wish if anything, I just wish it wasn't Spock that said that line, because if it was somebody else, you could have just said, oh, you know, Kirk was just messing with bones. It really wasn't minus one hundred forty. But because Spock says it, he's probably not kidding around. Right. You know. (laughs) So anyway. So, yeah, they're down on this balmy planet (laughs) freezing to death and. They're going to this base that's there to to go find these people. And in the meantime, Scotty and Chekhov and some of the other crew are on this ship that's orbiting the planet. And even though nobody's on board, they're detecting movement. Something's moving around. Clang, clang, clang. What's that whirling sound? And they're trying to find it. (laughs) So anyway, we're going back to the planet now. And Kirk, Spock, McCoy and crew find the base. But there's these poles sticking up. And... Here we go. We don't know what these poles are for. Maybe it's the purpose of these rods is to do something like protect the base of somehow. So what does the red shirt do? I'm going to walk between the poles. Yeah. And what happens? Boom. He's down on the ground. He's he's dehydrated. Yep. They think he's dead. He's uh he's a freeze dried ensign uh, in, in one shot here. Um, yeah, I mean, well, first of all, he put on the wrong color shirt that morning. I mean, you know, he beamed down with the the infamous trio. He, he should have known something was going to happen. <laughs> well, as soon as I saw a red shirt there, I was like, okay, probably something is going to happen. Of course it does. So anyway, you know, I, one thing I liked about this then is they're talking to the ship uh, about the crewman and uh, seeing if they can beam in beyond the poles is Rand is wearing science blue Mm -hmm. and she's at the science station. So I thought, Oh, that's pretty cool. So we got Rand in science. Yeah. That was a nice bit of continuity from the the previous story where she returned to the ship and uh, you know, working on the bridge now covering for Spock. That's kind of neat. I know when I first saw her, I thought she was nurse chapel. Mm hmm. 
because of the blonde hair and the blue suit. But I was like, it looks like Rand. And then she says, Captain, this is Rand at the science station. <laughs> yeah, I noticed I like, that awesome. very, very much for our benefit, I think, because, you know, wanting to make sure, hey, guys, this is Rand, just so you know. <laughs> Instead of saying, Captain, this is Rand at the science station, it should say, readers, this is Rand at the science station. <laughs> so anyway, I don't want, I, I always tend to go along, I feel like too much into the, all this stuff, but... But anyway, they're able to get into the science station and look around and no one is to be found. But while we're back on the other ship that's orbiting the planet, Scotty's running around and he finds a little robot droid type thing. And it's a cute little thing. And, and it's it's asking, you know, who are you? And it holds a phaser at Scotty <laughs> because it's protecting the ship. But it's really a robot we find out later that is, and this this doesn't look like a human or anything. It's this little floating, little roundish kind. Of, well, I guess it doesn't float. It wheels around. Mm-hmm. It's almost like a Star Trek version of an R two D two. Yeah, with some of its casings missing. And what was his name? I'm 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 trying to. Was it Toby or something like that? I'm, I'm I can't remember. Oh shoot. But I, I have to say, this little robot's kind of almost my favorite thing about this story. He's kind of awesome. <laughs> yeah, he tries to shoot them, and but anyway, yeah, he's cute. Star Trek doesn't do around. little cute robots usually, but I, I like this guy. Yes. So we have that going on, but then on the planet, Kirk and Spock find a tunnel under the space station or under the the base on the planet, and they go into the tunnel. And all of a sudden, they're captured into these, I don't know, what do you call these things? These little beds. (laughs) 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 They found themselves captured in a bed in Holiday Inn and didn't know, know, is the room smoking or (laughs) non-smoking? No. uh, They're just captured in these little pods or beds, and there's this hologram of a woman who says that they brought them there. And what am I trying to say, Dan? <laughs> well, they're they're basically going to be preserved. And they kind of slowly learn that, you know, this, this planet entered this ice age and the entire population, well, sorry, not the entire population, one in 4,000 of the population was basically saved from this calamity by being put in these freezer units. And they're about to be, frozen in these units as well so they're they're kind of the the ai that's running the place this holographic woman is unable to she doesn't have the necessary programming to understand that they don't belong there they're not of this world and that sort of thing so you know it's this it ends up being this really you know interesting story of the history of this world and you know how they're going to get get out of uh being frozen in these pods with the rest of these people, basically. Yep. So we have two, we have two storylines going on the mm-hmm. one on the base and the one on the ship. And, uh, I think the two work well because one seems to be a little more of your star Trek kind of heavy, kind of like, you know, what's going on here. And the other thing on the ship with the little robot and Scotty seems to be more lighthearted, fun story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I, I really like that. It's it's something we didn't get a lot of in the original series. Like, you know, you would get some splitting off of stories. You know, uh, the crew 
missing on a planet or something and Scotty leading the Enterprise trying to find them, that kind of thing. But it didn't really happen a lot that you get these kind of two different missions that are being followed here. And I think that's really cool. It, it kind of makes me wonder if the original series had gone on longer, would we have seen more complex stories like this as we go and more involvement with some of the characters outside of the main trio, you know, like we get kind of Scotty taking the lead on this and his uh, interactions with this little Toby robot are kind of cool. You know, I'd, I'd like to see more of that kind of stuff. So we find out that what they're doing is they're freeze drying <laughs> these beings on this planet. And now they're freeze dry. We have a freeze dried Spock on here. <laughs> I didn't think it was all that funny when I read it, but saying it out loud, it sounds funny to me. <laughs> I always think of like these commercials with the freeze dry bags, you know, I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> Spock is freeze dried. I can't even laugh. I've got a cold. I can't even think straight. I'm so cloudy. And uh, anyway, so, <laughs> so, but McCoy figures it all out. And so I don't know. What do you think? I kind of like the freeze dried thing. It makes sense, you know, because they were saying if you freeze someone, the water expands and it doesn't work. But if you freeze dry them, it they could last and then be revived years later. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's uh, it was a neat little bit of sciencey bit to that. I kind of wonder, you know, we get this technology called stasis in Star Trek, and and they say that Khan uh, and his followers they call it cryogenic suspension. So, you know what did they use if they didn't use this freeze drying thing? So, right. You know, I, I don't know, but I thought the same thing too. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So overall, what did you think of this issue? Um, I, I enjoyed this one and I think this one benefits from mostly being on the enterprise and on, on and in other Federation facilities and ships because, to me, the weakness in these stories, again, is when you're trying to do alien environments and weird places and they just look unreal. You know, they look computer generated and, and too out of place. But in this one, you know, they're on the Enterprise, they're on this other Federation ship and they're in the science station for the most part. There's a few alien environments they get into when they're in the caverns below, but you know, for the most part, I think the look of this one holds together possibly better than any of the other stories before it. So it doesn't pull me out of the story that way. And the story itself, I found really interesting. You know, I, I, I like that idea of an artificial intelligence that just isn't really programmed to respond to certain things. So doesn't understand and, and complications arise that way. And it's kind of neat that there's two artificial intelligences that kind of are having the same problem. This little Toby robot wasn't wasn't programmed to respond to an alert and he kind of freaks out <laughs> because he's got emotions and, and he gets scared. And then this other artificial AI, you know, doesn't know how to respond to Kirk and them because she doesn't even have the concept that aliens might visit the planet. Yeah, I agree with you. There's certain uh, frames where the computer graphics and, and the images of the crew in it look a little off or a little fake, but for the most part, most of the frames work. The Toby robot is probably one of my favorite characters <laughs> in here. I would like to see that they recruit Toby onto the enterprise and Toby be on future 
uh, issues of this series. That would be fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the other thing I liked about this is it's like you're saying it's like we have the hologram image on the planet and we have Toby and both aren't programmed to do exactly to know how to handle the different situations to deal with another race approaching the planet or the ship and I liked how Scotty when he finally becomes friendly with Toby is able to go in and reduce Toby's feelings so that he doesn't freak out as much about things so um yeah i mean it was enjoyable i like it i like that there were two storylines i think that's the thing i like most about it is that we had an a plot and a b plot going on uh throughout the issue so it was this back and forth and it it kept my interest going and continue reading as opposed to just staying on one storyline throughout because these are usually longer than most comic books Mm -hmm. um so it, I think it benefits to have multiple stories. And, and I say that being two different storylines, but then we also have some scenes that are taking place on the Enterprise. So in a sense, there's almost kind of like two storylines and a mini story, third storyline in there too. So mm-hmm. I enjoy it. So I, I say I give it a thumbs up. Uh, so read it. It's good. Yeah, definitely. Uh, a recommend for me as well. If uh, I, th- I think if you're looking for a story that uses this whole new visions idea the best this one might be it i think uh it, it looks the best to my mind i think i agree and speaking of photos i think we go right into the feature and hear about the star trek photo novels from the 1970s and the collection that scott mance has because he's going to tell you all about it So here we are in the feature, but unfortunately, Dan couldn't join us. So we really want to go and talk about photo novels. And and there are these things that came out in the 70s, I think in 1977, 1978. And I was listening to Engage, the official Star Trek podcast with Jordan Hoffman a few months ago. And I heard Scott Mance on there talking about photo novels, his collection. I thought, what a great opportunity if we could get him on the show, talk about the photo novels, because I don't know that much about it. And I think there's a lot of Star Trek fans out there that don't. And let's learn something more about them. So I want to welcome Scott Mance to the show. Scott, how you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm so excited to talk about those 12 Star Trek photo novels. I, you know, it, it's funny how when I talk to people about them, if they don't know about them, then, you know, they don't say anything about them. But if they do know about them, they go, oh, my God, I love those photo novels. Like people really have a fond memory for the Star Trek photo novels. Now, you said you didn't know a lot about the photo novels. Right. Well, I was born in 1968. Okay, I was born in so, 1967, so I'm right there with you. Oh, great. Okay. So, so yes. So, uh, you and I are of that generation that discovered the original series because of the syndication. We are the syndication generation of Star Trek fans because we found Star Trek through those reruns that really helped Star Trek surge in popularity. That's where Star Trek really found the audience that it didn't have when it was running on NBC, but we all know how that story went. Now, in the, in the 
around 1976-1977, there was a book, the, t- the kind of book that came out called The Photo Story. Now, The Photo Story was like a paperback book, but instead of just you know being a paperback book, instead of the written text that you see in the pages, they were they were about 300 or 400 photographs from a feature film or a television show that told the story of that film or television show. And using basically frames, you know, frame by frame shots, they would have just the thought bubbles, you know, uh, that you would usually just find in, uh, in comic books. Mm-hmm. But the photo novels that I guide, and if I you know, keep in mind, you know, this is before, before VCRs, before Betamax, before, you know, uh, Blu-rays, that's for sure. Blu-rays and DVDs. Right. The only thing you can so, really do is just maybe record the audio from your tape recorder, but you can't visually see anything. Well, well, you know, again, you and I are of that generation. That's right. And I'm just going to yeah. guess that you and I did that, that we held a tape recorder up to the TV and recorded episodes of, of the original Star Trek series. Yep. And, you know, I did that. I had about, I don't know, 12 or so cassettes uh, that ran, you know, an hour on each side. So I was able to take the whole episode and I, I wasn't able to watch the episode, but I was able to listen to the episode. The closest that we got to watching, watching an episode of Star Trek before we had VCRs and before, you know, unless we were watching an episode on rerun was the photo novel. Now at that point, you know, 75, 76, 77, there were photo novels for movies like Rocky, Close Encounters. Uh, you know, I, I remember uh, Battlestar Galactica, you know, the original uh, TV movie, so to speak, had yeah. a, had a photo story. Yeah. I had like, the uh, Close Dark- Encounters one. Actually, that was I had that was the first one I had. Yeah, I still I still have that one. That's a, and I have one for Buck Rogers in the 25th century. So, but what made Star Trek special was this company called Mandala Productions spent like uh, like a couple of years pulling screen grabs, basically from film cells because that's what they had to do back in those days, and they they did a series of twelve photo novels. They came out one a month from night between 1977 and 1978. And they were, some of them were classic episodes. Some of them were a little more obscure. One of them over the years became my single favorite Star Trek episode of all time. And I'll let you guess which one that is. But between 1977 and 1978, Mandala, Mandala Productions put out 12 photo novels, one a month, and they were in order. City on the Edge of Forever, that was the first one. Then it was Where No Man Has Gone Before. Then The Trouble with Tribbles, A Taste of Armageddon, Metamorphosis, All Our Yesterdays, The Galileo Seven, A Piece of the Action, Devil in the Dark, Day of the Dove, The Deadly Years, and A Mock Time. Well, did you just do that from the top of your head? Or did that you was cheat? from the top of my head. Because I have a list in front of me, and I followed along, and you got it perfectly. And you know, I got it. You know why? I I mean it. If Star Trek is my Citizen Kane, 
then the photo novels are my rosebud. Those 12 photo novels, which I got as they came out, and I kept them in mint condition. I cherish those things because they were the first they were the first items of, of Star Trek memorabilia that I ever bought. And it was the photo novels. It was the Topps trading cards from 1976. And it was those poster books, those 17 poster books that came out between 76 and 78. And the photo novels, like, I, you know, I would read along sometimes if I was able to tape the episode on, on a tape recorder and basically turn the page and watch the episode through the photo novel. And in most cases, the dialogue in the photo novel matched the episode pretty perfectly. But for the trouble with Tribbles, they actually took a lot of creative liberties with creating their own dialogue. And it's actually not a very good photo novel because it, it veered too far from, from the dialogue in the original screenplay in the original episode. Now, why do you think but, they did that? I I think they were just trying to you know some of the some of the pictures that they pulled from the episode maybe they thought that they would come up with something a little more clever or more funny or more witty yeah but you know you, you can't top what David Gerald no. and Gene Kuhn did with that episode right. but you know the, you know so so like a piece of the action was was one of the first ones I got you know of course that's the Planet of the Gangsters and uh, Devil in the Dark written by the great Gene Kuhn. And it's it's been over the years, you know, my my favorite episode, my my pick for favorite episode has all shifted between like sitting on the edge of forever, mirror mirror, doomsday machine, balance of terror. But as I've gotten older, the the episode that I sort of settled as my my personal favorite is not one that's on ever. I think you I know, know which it. one it is. I think so because I think I've Go heard ahead. you mention it. Metamorphosis. That's the one. That that's it. That is the one. Now, why is that? For that is because it's a it's a perfect Gene Kuhn screenplay. Now, for everyone listening, everyone knows that Gene Roddenberry created the show. He was the producer, the day-to-day producer for the first half of the first season. But the day-to-day production was a bit much for him. So he brought in someone else to be the day-to-day producer. That was Gene Kuhn. And what Gene Kuhn did with the original Star Trek, he, he took something that was already pretty great and he made it better. Gene Kuhn, by the middle of the first season, he defined the relationship between Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. He brought out the humor in the series. He, he, did, he just made each of the characters, Kirk, Spock, and McCoy, more defined, more fully realized. But he also created the Klingons. He created the Prime Directive. He created Starfleet Command. All of those were his. But the screenplays that he wrote, his original screenplays, were two of the finest episodes of the series, Devil in the Dark and Metamorphosis. Mm-hmm. And in Devil in the Dark, Devil of the Dark, episode, which is photo novel number nine, you know, Kirk and Spock, they, they go to Janus 6 to kill whatever creature is killing the miners. And then they realize that the Horda was a mother protecting its eggs. Right. And it flipped the, it flipped the episode over the humans. They, they saw something they didn't understand. They feared it. They tried to kill it. And then they realized 
they were wrong. They realized that they were judging a book by its cover, and they never occurred to them that the hoarder was a mother. Right. And it flipped the episode over, but that that um, discovery happened towards the end of the episode. Now, I always said, you take Devil in the Dark and turn it into a love story, it's Metamorphosis. Because for the first half of for the first half of Metamorphosis, they don't understand what the companion is. The companion is holding them hostage, and they have to get Commissioner Hedford back to the Enterprise to cure her, or she's going to die, and she will not be able to stop the war on Epsilon Canaris Three. But then, when they use the Universal Translator, and they hear the voice of the companion, and it is a female. And it is in love with the man. She is in love with the man, Zephram Cochran. It flipped the episode over. Yes. It went from being it went from being a drama with a ticking clock for them to get off the planet. And it immediately flipped over and turned into a very sensitive, beautifully told love story. Of all the episodes of that of the original series, Metamorphosis is the most sensitive, delicate episode of the series. It is the most moving episode of the series. Even more moving, I have to say, than Sitting on the Edge of Forever, which just comes down to that moment where Kirk stops McCoy from saving Edith Cure. But the cinematography of that episode, Jerry Finnerman, the, the purple sky on the, on the asteroid, he was at the top of his game. The score by George Dooning was gorgeous. I mean, it's one of my favorite scores up there with a mock time and Doomsday Machine and uh, Conscience of the King. His score for Metamorphosis is brilliant and beautiful. And Eleanor Donahue, who up to that point was best known as the daughter from When, when uh, Father Knows Best, you know, she she had taken a few years off from uh, from acting, and now in this one episode of Star Trek, the range that she displayed where she goes from being this sort of tough-as-nails commissioner to the vulnerability as she realizes that she's dying and she realizes that she missed out on life because she never had someone to love or to love her. To then, in the last act, this beautiful, delicate companion. I mean, that's all in one episode. And she pulled... She pulled each of those shifts off brilliantly. I remember in the end of the episode when Cochran is telling the companion, I can't wait to take you off this planet. There's a whole universe out there. I'm going to show you all of it. And she holds up her scarf. Yes. And then she's, she sees Cochran through the scarf because at a moment of serendipity, the director of the episode, Ralph Sinetsky, realized that Eleanor Donahue's scarf was very similar to the animated layout of the companion. So she held it up and she like saw Cochran the way she had always seen him through these colors. And then she puts the scarf down and says, I, I can't go with you. If I leave this planet, I will cease to exist. Mm-hmm. And at the edge of the, at the end of the episode, when Cochran tells Kirk, I can't leave. If I do, she'll die. Now that I see her and touch her, I know that I love her 
We'll have a lot of years together, and we'll be ha- they'll be happy ones. And Kirk just says, all the best. I mean, it's such a it, – it's timeless. It's I don't care how many times I've seen the episode. When I watch it, I get – it hits me on an emotional level. And the photo novel is great. Episode – it's a photo novel number five. This would have to be your favorite so, of the photo novels if it's your favorite episode, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sure. Without without a doubt. Yeah. Um, and how many copies of that amazing. do you have? Do you just oh, have one? Uh, or? I think I have like just one or two. Okay. But I have like four four copies of Sitting on the Edge of Forever. Uh, I think I have three or four copies of uh, of Trouble with Tribbles. Um, I think I have two copies of Devil in the Dark. You know. Um, but you know the, the photo novels. I, I just, you know, they're such a, a cherished part of my collection because I kept them in such pristine condition. Because I just, you know, they're such a that they're they're sort of like I said, they're the rosebud of my Star Trek collection. But the amazing thing is that, like maybe two or three years ago, I was at a comic book shop, and I saw this. Not 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 in the shape of a photo novel, which is basically the shape of a paperback book, but in the shape of a comic book. I saw this thing called a photo montage by legendary comic book author and artist John Byrne. And I pick it up and I open it up and I went, wait a minute. This is a photo novel. And I went, wait a minute. No, it's not. Because... What John Byrne did, this is how much of a fan John Byrne was of the original series. He saw the episode so many times that he came up with original stories for the original series, you know, using the original series characters. Mm -hmm. And instead of drawing the artwork, he pulled frames from the original series, you know, from the high definition versions of them. Right. And he used Photoshop to manipulate the image to create an original story using using altered images from the original series. So he basically created a photo novel out of a lost episode yeah. of Star Trek. Yeah, original stories it, as if they, as like you're saying, it's almost like they're lost episodes. It's episodes we never saw, and all of a sudden they're being revealed to us. But we really know that they're, they're photos cut and reformatted in Photoshop from the original series, but it makes it look like it's something that was shot that we never got to see. I love those books. I mean, every other month when I go, you know, I make sure I go on the day they come out because they usually sell out pretty quickly. And I think they're up to like 16 or 17 uh, uh, issues of them. Yep, 17. Um, and they're called Two Visions. 17, yeah. And uh, I think they're great. And, you know, it's. It, I remember before those things came out, I remember thinking, you know, just because I, that, you know, love my photo novels. Now that Star Trek is in high definition, now that they can pull like much sharper images, wouldn't it be great to have photo novels for some of the episodes, some of the real good classic episodes that they never got to. Yeah. Like how great would it be to have a photo novel for Mirror Mirror, for the Doomsday Machine, for Balance of Terror? Um, you know, uh, Who Wants for Outer Knives? Uh, Aaron Book Mercy, um, Enemy Within. And I thought, you know, 
about reaching out to Paramount, uh, not Paramount, I'm sorry, CBS Consumer Products about, about doing like a new set of photo novels. And it would basically be done in the format that the old ones were done, but just the imagery would be much, much sharper because it's using today's technology. And I thought, you know, even if newer Star Trek fans won't really get the significance of this, like the original fans, the fans who grew up in the 70s who bought those photo novels would go nuts for them and scoop them up because it would remind them, you know, there'd be a nostalgia factor. But wait a minute, this is also really sharp. Look how sharp the, art, the images are. And at that very moment that I was like, you know, going to reach out to like John Van Sitters or Dave Rossi or people I knew who could connect me to do this, that first photo story, that photo montage, which was basically a sequel episode to Where No Man Has Gone Before because uh, Gary Mitchell was the uh, uh, antagonist in the episode, in the, uh, in the story. But, you know, I thought, oh, well, there goes that idea. But I thought, okay, you know what? This is actually really cool. John Byrne is like a legend in the comic world, and he obviously loves the original series. So I think those photo montages are great, and they're the next best thing to those 12 photo novels from the, from the 1970s. But can I just ask you again? So when I was, when I was going through the list of them, yeah. I was right on point, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. I was following along. I was like, is he really doing this off the top of his head, or is he reading a list like I'm doing right now? But I remember when I saw you nope. at Star Trek, Star Trek Las Vegas, I didn't have the list in front of me, and you were going through all 12, and you said, am I right? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> if you think, if you say so, I don't know. But you definitely got it right. So it's obviously your rosebud for sure. Well, well for people who are listening, if you don't have the photo novels, you, know, you can get them for a pretty decent price on eBay. And, and by the way, photo novel is spelled with an S, not with a PH. So if you go on eBay and you put in the search engine, you put in Star Trek photo novel with an S, they will come up. And odds are you will get you can get them for for a pretty decent price. And if you love Star Trek, and if you love the original series especially, then this this set of books, these twelve books, these this is a a Star Trek collectible that no diehard trekker should be without. I mean, a lot of my friends who are who are Star Trek fans are you know they're close to my age. They either know of the photo novels or they have them. And whenever I brought them up in conversation, you know, not that I do it all the time, but they're like, oh, I love those photo novels. Oh, yeah, I still have mine, but they're not in good condition or whatever. I mean, I'm telling you, I bought those things. I read them and I put them in those like comic book bags and sealed them pretty tight because I wanted to preserve them and really keep them in great condition. And, and you know, I really think... If you're, if you know, if you're a newer fan, if you're a fan of like, you know, Voyager or Enterprise, or maybe just a fan of the JJ movies, um, and and just sort of have a, uh, you know, you're not that into the original series, which I mean, shame on you. Um, these things are great. I just adore them, you know. And it's funny because I was just at Star Trek Las Vegas, you know, last month, and I I saw, you know, some dealer was selling photo novel number nine, which is Devil in the Dark for like 10 bucks and it was in pretty decent condition. I'm like, you know what? Hell of it. I bought it, you know, even though I already have it. Yeah. Why did so, you buy you it know, if you already I, have it? You know why? Because it, it reminded me of my youth. 
of going and buying it and taking it home and opening it for the first time. It's like reliving that. Exactly. Okay. I mean, you know, I was staying, you know, I was there for like five days in Vegas at the staying at the Rio. So, so, you know, at the end of the day, when I got back to my room and I was just sort of like decompressing for the day and I, you know, laid down on the bed and I turned on the light and I'm sitting there I'm like reading photo novel number nine for the first time in like decades. But it reminded me of that little kid that first fell in love with Star Trek, that started buying Star Trek stuff, you know, like the Miko toys. You know, I had an AMT uh, Enterprise model and, you know, those classic uh, 1976 Topps cars, which mm-hmm. are worth quite a bit of money now. Yep. Um, but, you know, like like for me, Star Trek is uh, – it, it, changed my life i mean and it wasn't just watching the show it was it was the the stuff that i bought that i that i still have you know i still have all that stuff you know so let me ask let me i'm just curious uh, because one of the things i read because i had to do a little research because i don't have all the photo novels i don't even have any anymore actually i don't know what i even do with my close encounters one but i read that there was not only is it the episodes in the photo novels but there's like reader mail and a list of the cast and the and the characters and a glossary is there additional stuff in there besides the story well that is an excellent question and yes there is um some of the some of them have like just short interviews with uh, uh, like metamorphosis has an interview with Eleanor Donahue sitting on the edge of forever has an interview with Harlan Ellison. Uh, uh, A a piece of the action has an interview with Bella Oxmix, not the actor who played him, but with Bella Oxmix, who was the, uh, one of the, uh, uh, the territory leaders on the, um, uh, Sigma Eoshia 2, which is the uh, Planet of the Gangsters in that episode. And it also has, like like you say, you turn the page, and then there's like a cast of characters. It says Captain James T. Kirk, played by William Shatner, and it has like a little description of who he is. And then it says, you know, Mr. Spock, First Officer, Leonard Nimoy, with a little description of who he is, like, we don't know. Um, but it was a nice little touch. And then there'd be like a glossary of like terms that they would use, like Starfleet, Communicator, Phaser, uh, failing frequencies, um, you know, warp speed, uh, dilithium crystals, uh, stuff like that. And then at the very end of the book, the last page would be coming next month, and it would it would have the uh, you know a picture or two from from the next photo novel. And I always thought it was interesting that they used that they picked um, like like Deadly Years is you know I like that episode a lot, but it's not like a classic. Or uh, All Our Yesterdays mm-hmm. from the third season episode. I liked a lot more over the years because it's, uh, you know, the second to the last episode of the series. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like, they never did, like, Doomsday Machine. That would have been great, <laughs> you yeah. know, or Tomorrow Was Yesterday or or uh, Balance of Terror would have been a great photo. Yeah, because now the last you know, one... The last one is a mock time, and you were saying that right. at the end of each one, it would say the next one coming up. Did a mock time say there was another one coming up, or did they know it was ending it, right there? It did not. They knew that was the last one, okay. uh, because even by that point, you know, this is 1978, VCRs started to get sold, and people were like, why should I get a book of photos when I could just watch, tape it and watch the real thing? So for a brief moment in time in the mid to late 70s, the photo novel was a little novelty, no pun intended, for people to 
basically read along with images from the film from start to finish. And, you know, you have all these photographs, 300 to 400 photographs from your favorite episodes or your favorite movies. And, you know, I remember when I got the Battlestar Galactica photo novel, you know, I, I, that was another show that I loved as much as Star Trek. And, uh, I, you know, they did a great job with that. But once VCRs hit, there was no reason for the photo novel to exist. And just as quickly as they appeared, as ha- if that's as fast as they disappeared. Well, except I also found out that you're right. I mean, with VCRs, you can record the shows, but the movies are in the theaters. And back then when the movies were in the theaters, they wouldn't show up on TV for maybe a couple, you know, two, three, four years or whatever. And there were photo stories from pocketbooks for the motion picture and the Wrath of Khan. Did you know that? And oh, right. Do you yeah, have yeah. Them? Did you have yeah. those? Or? I, ha- I, I, have, I have motion picture and Wrath of Khan. Motion picture was, you know, it's, it's in color. But Wrath of Khan was in black and white. And it just... Really? Like, yep. Oh, why would they do black and yeah. white? <laughs> it was... Uh, yeah, it, it, didn't, it didn't really work. Yeah. It didn't really work. But they did it. And, you know, after Wrath of Khan, you know, they could have... You know, they, if... if if they had done Wrath of Khan like they did the motion picture, it would have been great, but they didn't. And uh, it, it just, I think, it, you know, it just stopped. Well, that's, I mean, this is really interesting to me. Uh, you're right. It's very much a generational thing. You couldn't watch a show unless it was airing live. You couldn't record it. You couldn't watch it later. You had to catch it as it was on. But you were able to relive those episodes and revisit them on your hands. And I think that's why this is such a prized possession for you because it's a physical connection. It's something you can hold in your hand that relates to when you were a kid watching Star Trek and you can't hold what the episodes you're watching in your hand, unless they're in a book and there's all the photos and everything. So I can see why they mean so much to you. And, and you know what? You're hit on something really important. Like, like even, even with, you know, my Blu-rays of the original series, I have to put it in a TV and watch it. I can't just look at the disc yeah. and see all the pictures. Right. So with the photo novels, I don't need any power. I don't need a Blu-ray player. I don't need a TV. I just open a book and there are all these pictures. So for me, owning a photo novel was like owning a piece of Star Trek. Like, like literally owning a piece of Star Trek because all I had to do was turn the page and there's another picture and then turn the page. Oh, there's a picture of the enterprise, you know, Oh, there's a picture of, uh, you know, uh, the commissioner, you know, uh, you know, giving Kirk a hard time, whatever. Um, and, and it was like, it was for, you know, a seven, eight year old kid who just loved this show and still does. It made me happy to be able to have that sort of like, like this episode is mine. Well, that's awesome. Well, (laughs) I I have a box of tissues here. I'm I'm wiping my eyes right now. So sentimental. (laughs) (laughs) No, actually, no, that's great. I mean, I love your enthusiasm. I always loved hearing you uh, moderate Star Trek panels and and host Star Trek events. I saw you at the Paramount fan event last year and it's just, it's great. And, And you have something else coming out. You've interviewed William Shatner for the Wrath of Khan screening that's coming out. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Well, Fathom Events 
is this organization company. They re-release classic movies in theaters, and they do it for like one or two days. And it's a you know it's it's a, a nationwide in theaters around the country, like 800 theaters around the country. So as part of the uh, uh, incentive for people to go watch the movies again, they do programming that precedes the film. So when Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan is shown in theaters on September 10th and September 13th, it's going to be preceded by a brand new exclusive interview with William Shatner about the making and impact of The Wrath of Khan, and I did the interview with him. That's awesome. And he was great. He was warm and gracious and a lot of fun and very funny. And he could tell that I was a fan, but, you know, I'm also a professional. I mean, this is what I do for a living. And it was a great interview. And I really think that that whether you've seen Rathacon 200 times or you're just seeing it for the first time in theaters on September 10th and September 13th, you're really going to love this interview. And if you want to buy tickets, go to fathomevents.com. Fathom with, a, with an S, just like Photo Novel. <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm really proud of this. I can't wait for you to see it. You know, just hit me up on Twitter or, or email me and let me know what you think because uh, I'm really like, this is a, like, a, like a drop the mic moment to be able to, you know, you know, do this interview and just talk about the Rapacon. I didn't have to talk about anything else. It was specifically devoted 20, 25 minute interview just about the, the making and the impact of the Rapacon. And, you know, it came out great. You know, we did it one take from start to finish, no pickups, no redos. And uh, it was really awesome. Shatner's, uh, Shatner is the man. Yeah. It's almost like a, a DVD or a Blu-ray. You're getting bonus features by going to the theater. So it's definitely worth uh, going and checking out at least the interview and then to see The Wrath of Khan on the big screen yet again. Now, this is the director's cut, that, right? That's what it's all about. It's the director's cut. They're showing the director's cut. But listen, anytime you have a chance to see The Wrath of Khan on the big screen, you do it. I mean, you know, here in L.A., you know, they, they you know, sometimes start the revi- revival theaters. They'll, they'll show, you know, like Close Encounters or, or Blade Runner or Apocalypse Now or 2001 or Wrath of Khan. And, you know, those are my favorite movies. So I, I will drop what I'm doing to make sure I can go see them because it's like, you got to do it. Yeah. that That's like my, one of my dreams that when I retire and I'm looking for something to do, I want to be able to buy an old movie theater and show movies like that again, to see them on the big screen, you know, just, just like the old days of when those movies came out, you know, just the way they were meant to be seen is on the big screen. That's how they were made to be seen. That's, uh, yeah, I couldn't agree more. And as a, as a movie reviewer, you know, critic guy, I, um, obviously I completely agree, but can't tell you how much I appreciate having me on your show. This has really been fantastic. Yeah. And thanks for coming on. And so tell people where they can find your reviews and where they can see you or find you online. Well, you can, you know, catch me on Friday mornings on Access Hollywood Live, the review on the weekend movies or, or catch me on the weekend version of, of Access Hollywood, the one hour version that airs over the weekend reviewing the new films. And uh, you can also follow me on Twitter. My uh, handle is Movie Mance, and that's with a TZ at the end. So it's at Movie Mance. I post a lot. I interact a lot with my followers and, 
And, uh, you know, uh, if you follow me, you won't regret it. So uh, that's where you can find me. Definitely on Twitter at Movie Man is the best place to get. That's great. Awesome. Well, thank you again for joining us. And uh, maybe, you know, we'll find something else to geek out about sometime. Anytime. We'd love to be back on the show. That'd be great. Man, you know, I tend to think that of everyone that I see in my day-to-day life, I could beat at Star Trek trivia. I think you could put just about anyone up against me that I've ever met, and I could beat them in knowledge of Star Trek. Scott Matz, uh, there's no way that I would take him on. I think that guy knows way more about Star Trek than I ever will. And, you know, I'm not tooting my own horn. I don't have a lot of things to toot my horn about, but knowledge of Star Trek is one of them. So, you know, that's saying something. So... Now I get it. You didn't show up for the interview because you were intimidated by Scott's knowledge of Star Trek. I, you know, you got me there. (laughs) That said, I mean, you know, it's kind of like Riker taking on Cyrano Kalrami at Stratagema in the episode Peak Performance. You know, I, I have no expectations to win, but facing off against him, it would be an honor just to be there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's awesome. And, you know, it's, it's, you know, always fun to hear from other people and about their passion of things. And it's really great to go deep into finding out about these photo novels because, you know, I've never read one. I've never had one. So it's, it's a side of Star Trek literature that I'm unfamiliar with. And now I feel I know more about it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, and when you peel back what Star Trek means to a lot of people. There's all these little corners that you can get into and find out about. And it was really fun to be able to explore one of those kind of pocket universes in the Star Trek universe today. But you know what? It's been fun talking about the photo novels and such, but it's not the only thing we've been discussing here on the network. So here's a quick look at some of the other things you may have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, Literary Treks. Oh, Matthew, I'm doing just fine. You know, it's always fun every week to hop on here and talk Star Trek books and comics with you. And I don't know if you realize this, Matthew, but this is our 200th episode of Literary... Wait a minute, Matthew. We don't host this show anymore. The 602 Club. I honestly was thrilled with the way that they set it up because, like you said, sort of like uh, Russian dolls, I guess, um, is a good way to explain it. You introduce one character in this existing show, and then it leads to that character's own show, which leads to the next one's own show. The Edge, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. There were a lot of comments talking about this roller coaster ride. Mm -hmm. You know, yay, I'm so excited, Trek's on. Oh, it's a prequel. You know, oh, I saw the first trailer and I loved it. Oh, Brian Fuller's no longer working on it. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's we're getting all this diversity. Oh, look at the Klingons, right? And you could just see it. Seriously, some fans have gone through some serious roller coaster rides. To the journey! And so I could see the Herojin viewing themselves as very noble, very civilized. They don't let their prey suffer, but really they're doing these horrific things, just like we do here in the real world when we have to go fight wars. Yeah, absolutely. I think they go home and they write an epic poem about it, and that makes it okay. (laughs) (laughs) The the Herojin equivalent of Beowulf. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. 
Check out all these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, please be sure to hit that subscribe button in Apple Podcasts on iPhone, iPad, or Apple TV, or the desktop iTunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they're published. And, you know, if you have the time, it really helps us out if you leave a star rating and a written review. We'd really love to hear what you think about the show. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find all of the shows on the Trek FM network on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and in most third-party apps. And you can also stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link there as well. If you'd like to help us keep our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Trek FM to get all the details. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more. Available through our special patrons website, Patron Zone. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash Trek FM. We got a little bit of listener feedback on Facebook from Stefan Seitz. I'm hoping I'm saying that name right. Uh, he messaged me and he wanted to thank us uh, and our co-hosts for another fabulous podcast. And he was talking about episode 200 where we talked to Dayton Ward and had some awesome messages from various uh, hosts on the network. Uh, he says, it's really inspiring what you guys do and the passion behind it. So I have a question. One, how long do you usually need to read a Star Trek novel? And two, as I was younger, I could read anywhere. Now I can hardly concentrate Hence, I, since I started comics. I live in a loud environment. Can you relate to this issue? And if so, are there some techniques how to learn to refocus and concentrate while reading stuff? Well, these are really good questions. Uh, first of all, how long do I usually need to read a Star Trek novel? Usually... However much time I have until the night before recording an episode of Literary Tracks <laughs> tends to be my pattern lately. <laughs> wow. Uh, so I think on average, for an average Star Trek novel, I've clocked myself at about six hours, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, so usually what happens is we record typically on a Wednesday night, sometimes a Thursday night. I usually start reading the book about a week prior to that. Most of my reading is done on the weekends. I try to put at least two hours in on a Saturday and two hours on a Sunday. So the bulk of my reading is done on the weekend. I try not to read up until till we get to the day of recording because I'm afraid with work and everything else I'm having going on, I don't want to stress and go, oh my gosh, I won't have time to finish the novel. So I try to get as much done over the weekend. I might go past Sunday and still have like an hour or so left to read, but I'm trying to get it all done a few days early. So that's about the average for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I usually spread mine out over the course of about a week. And that's, you know, I'm reading other stuff at the same time and I'm kind of pacing myself. Uh, if I do have to, like if I, if I found myself without a lot of time to read and, you know, I kind of push it, I, I can get it done in a day or two before we record if I have to, but that's a panicky week if I'm doing that for sure. 
Yeah, and if I I travel quite often, my job, so I get a lot of reading done on the plane. Mm-hmm. So that that helps me a lot too when I travel. So excellent. Well, your second question, actually, I'm really glad you asked this. Uh, I lived in Korea for two years, and apparently, there's a part of your brain that you use to actively block out people around you speaking while you're trying to concentrate on something. And if you live somewhere where everyone's not speaking your native language and you don't have to do that actively, you lose it. So when I moved back to Canada from Korea, I found I could not read in a room where there was anyone else talking or a TV on or a radio on for the longest time. So you know, it, it was, it's a, it's definitely a skill you have to build up. And, um, you know, as far as techniques to be able to refocus and concentrate while you're reading something and blocking stuff out, you know, I, all I can say is it really takes time and practice. And what you really should try and do is find, you know, a quiet moment, find somewhere where you can kind of cut yourself off from the distractions, maybe turn off the phone, you know, don't have that stuff around you plan to spend a good hour reading, you know, with nothing else around you to distract you if that's possible. And, uh, you know, that's really the best I can do. I I don't have a lot of specific techniques, unfortunately. Well, so I took my wife in for some minor surgery and I was going to read in the waiting room, but they had the TV blaring with news and it can be such a distraction because, there's just this new, this noise going on. And then maybe there's some people in the waiting room that are talking and there's just, you know, just things going on that I'm afraid that I'm going to get distracted and start listening to what the people are saying, what the TV says. Usually I find it hard at first when I start reading, but once I start getting to the reading, I notice that I've, I'm able to tune it out, mm-hmm. but it takes maybe a few minutes for that to really start to occur. The other thing though, I will suggest is looking for a white noise app. So mm, I have uh, white noise apps on my iPhone, on my iPad, and occasionally I'll put headsets on and just have this white noise sound going so it blocks out other sounds so I can concentrate on reading. And sometimes I have been able to find Star Trek sounds like the sound of like the hum of like on the ship the and i'll have that playing in my ears while i'm reading so it's like i actually feel like i'm actually on the ship right now because i can hear it so that's one thing that i do so if you can find an app out there that has some white noise that can help that's awesome great uh, great suggestion bruce i hadn't thought of that Well, he finishes uh, his message by saying, uh, meanwhile, thanks a lot for your work. It means a lot to me. I feel like it's family when I can reach out to people who love Star Trek as I do. Meanwhile, live long and prosper and read on. Kindly yours, Stefan. Well, thank you so much for that message. That really does mean a lot. And I know exactly what you mean. You know, finding a group of like-minded fans that you can share this love of Star Trek and specifically the love of the books and comics with, you know, that's a lot of fun. And it's one of the biggest perks of both listening to this show when I was just, you know, a casual listener and, and, and also being a co-host on the show is, you know, sharing that love and passion with my co-host Bruce, of course, and with the audience. So thank you so much. It really means a lot to hear from you. Well, we'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show and any of the other shows we've done in the past, and there are many ways for you to do that. 
The best place to join in the larger conversation is, of course, the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook and it should come right up. If you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm contact. Choose to send to a show and select Literary Treks and that will come right to us. You can also find the network on Twitter at TrekFM and on Facebook at facebook.com slash TrekFM. Find us on our Goodreads group where we have bookshelves with all of our previously covered books as well as the currently reading section where you'll get to see what is coming up for future shows. Plus, great conversations happening about the books and the comics. So just search for Literary Treks on Goodreads and click Join Group. And we'd like to thank Ken Tripp, Greg Rosier, and Brandon Shane Matala for their support of the Trek FM network and for being associate producers for Literary Treks as well. So Dan, when you're not being freeze-dried on a planet that's negative 140 degrees Celsius, where can people find you? <laughs> well, you certainly can't find me working my uh, my phone and getting on Twitter and Instagram because, you know, my, my hands will be in gloves, unlike Kirk and Spock, because that's just nuts. But when I'm inside and toasty warm, you can find me tweeting on Twitter at Kurtrats. That's K-E-R-T-R-A-T-S. I'm on Instagram at Kurtrats47, youtube.com slash Kurtrats Productions. Uh, and you can find me kicking around the Babel Conference talking about Star Trek. And Bruce, when you're not furiously taking screen caps of the latest episode of Star Trek that you've watched, arranging them meticulously on a page and creating little speech bubbles so that people can enjoy them as brand new photo novels, where can we find you? Well, you can find me on Twitter at Admiral underscore Rex, and you can find me on the Star Wars Report podcast at StarWarsReport.com talking about Star Wars. Surprise, surprise. And of course, you can find me on the Babel Conference. So thanks, everyone, for listening. And until next time, live long and read on. You call that light reading? To each his own, number one.